threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, that's what they called Christians back in that time, against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, this is Paul, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we lift up to you these requests that were mentioned this morning. And Lord, we pray for each one and pray that you would undertake, that you would lead and guide. And uh, we pray for protection and for comfort for those that need it. Lord, we thank you that we have an almighty God, all-powerful in the heavens, that you alone are God. There's no God beside you. You, you know all things. You see all things. There's nothing that you can't do. And God, you are very real and very present with us. And I thank you for the promise that we have as believers that we can cast all our cares upon you for you care for us and that you'll give us comfort and strengthen us and give us help in our time of need. So Lord, we pray for that for those that are here and part of our church family and need that at this time. And Lord, we all need you. We all need you every hour. And Lord, during this hour, we need you to speak to us through your word. I pray, Father, that you'd help us. God, I pray that today that you'd stir us up to love and to good works, but help us not to put anything more on us than what you'd have us to do, not to overburden ourselves and be too busy to be able to really do what you want us to do with the lives that you've given us, with the time that's remaining in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you'd just bless now. I pray for the students and the teachers that are in uh, junior church, and I pray for their salvation, Lord. I pray that they'd grow up to know you, to love you, and to serve you, to live according to your word and put you first place in their lives and in their hearts. Lord, uh, I pray, Father, that you'd bless now, and if there be one that's here that's with us and they've never accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. And if there's one here that's with us that has never really laid down their lives on the altar and just given you everything, I pray that today would be the day of surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's a good question that uh, we must continually ask as we go on serving the Lord in Acts chapter 9, verse 6. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I want to spend some time this morning meditating on that question. You know, if you're not saved, you need to ask the uh, question in the book of Acts, What must I do to be saved? That's a good question if you're not saved. Ask the Lord, what must I do to be saved? But here's a good question for somebody who is saved and serving the Lord. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Paul asked this question on his journey to Damascus. At the moment of his conversion, he asked Jesus, What do you want me to do with my life? His heart and his life were instantly and forever changed in just a moment. Just like that, his life was changed. Going one direction, now he's going another direction. He had a head-on collision with Jesus Christ. And he saw Jesus Christ in all of his glorious power, in all of his position. He had a vision of Jesus from heaven, a great light shining down from heaven, And Paul realized 
that this one who is peering down from above, this one is in fact Jesus. This name that he's been trying to stamp out of existence and to get people to forget all about Jesus, the followers of the way, get Christians to deny Jesus, to curse him. That very one, Paul saw speaking to him from this great light in heaven. And now Paul was willing to go anywhere and to do anything for Jesus. That's what we're looking at here today. I want to say just a few things. By this question, we can see that Paul was a new man. If you back up to verse 1 again, this is Paul before his name was changed. He was Saul. Saul is the old man. The old man was breathing out threatenings. I love the way that the King James Bible describes this. It's beautiful language. Breathing out threatenings. If you've ever been really mad, maybe when you were lost, if you had a problem with anger, you can probably understand these words. Breathing out threatenings. If you've ever really been in a fight, in a strong fight, uh, and you were breathing out threatenings towards someone else, if you ever felt like you had to defend your family against somebody else, and you're in the heat of it, breathing out threatenings, threatening Christians, men, women, boys, girls, people meeting in their homes, coming to synagogues and standing up to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would threaten them. He would find them. He would, he would search through their neighborhoods, knock on their doors, look for Christian behaviors, Christian uh, paraphernalia, and track them down, identify them, and threaten them with death, breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Paul was persecuting Christians unto the death. This was the the first strong persecution against Christians. You say, where did it come from? Did it come from Rome? It came from the Jews. It came from the Jews. Paul, before his name was changed, he was Saul, and he was working with the high priest. And he was going to the high priest and seeking letters. He says in verse 2, he was desiring letters. You see, Saul was a rabbi. He was a religious teacher, and he was no dummy. He was highly educated. We don't know a whole lot about his family, but evidently his family was wealthy because Paul was natural-born a Roman. He had natural-born citizenship. And so you had to have some money to be in that situation. And Paul was sent down to Jerusalem to the very best of the teachers, Gamaliel. And he was highly educated. He was not only highly educated in the Old Testament law and the Torah, but Paul was an avid reader. He read all the poets of the day. He read the great philosophers of the day. He was familiar with their writings. This guy was extremely intelligent and extremely talented and extremely motivated and extremely dangerous, this Saul of Tarsus. And so being a rabbi, you know what a rabbi is? It's a Jewish teacher. Jesus was a rabbi. So Saul, uh, he had his disciples and people that he taught and people that followed him. There he was and going, using all of his talents and natural capacities in order to find these Christians and kill them unless they deny Jesus Christ. And he went as far as Antioch. 
as far north as Antioch, he went to strange cities, he says, to do this work. They desired uh, letters, he said, to the, to the synagogues, and that was the network that the Jews communicated through, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem, where they would be tried. Jews uh, at first persecuted Christians, later it would be Rome. Throughout church, church history, listen, Catholics persecuted Christians, real Bible-believing Christians. Listen, Protestants persecuted real Bible-believing Christians. That means the Jews. Uh, that means the Roman government, this world system. That means the uh, anti-Christianity of Popish Roman Catholicism, uh, the orthodoxy of Protestantism, and not only that, but Muslims. Muslims. Basically, the devil just getting anyone he can to try to hurt and stop the Christians. Today, it's communism. It's still Muslims, but it's communism as well, communistic governments. And um, as we think about that, and we think about how awful, say, the uh, Spanish Inquisition was of the, you know, the, the Dark Ages and the things that they would do to Christians, we have to remember that Saul was doing these kind of things, and the Jews, and the person back of it or behind all of it is Satan, the devil, who hates your Jesus, hates you, wants to see as many souls in Racine and in Meigs County swept into hell forever so that God doesn't get the glory. All these souls for whom Christ died, he's trying to keep as many of them blinded as possible. And you know who God put in his way? You and me and the Holy Spirit. We're a majority. All we have to do is just go and do what he wants us to do and live it and be a living testimony for Jesus Christ. It can't happen if we're just living for Jesus on Sunday mornings from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock. If that's your Christianity, you're not going to make a dent in the devil's plans. But he was a, a man here who was on a mission, and he was on a mission to destroy Christians. In verse 3, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, that's a long ways north. Suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. So here's Paul on his journey. And at that moment, when that light shined from heaven, Paul realized, here's a sign from heaven, and he realized, man, I have messed up. Talk about making a mistake. I have made a biggie. I've been doing things all wrong. I got this completely wrong. As smart as what I am, I blew it. And I got this thing all wrong. He saw that light shining from heaven. He saw Jesus. And at that moment, Paul said, Lord. Imagine that. This is a man who hated Jesus, hated Christians, persecuting them unto the death, saying, curse his name. Deny Jesus. Now he says to Jesus, Lord. This is a new man. He was converted. This was his moment of conversion. Converted on the road to Damascus. Saul, his name wasn't changed at this point, but his life was. So we could say he really did change from the old man to the new man. Saul to Paul. He was a new man. Have you ever had an experience like that? <clears throat> I mean, it was just that dramatic for me. 
I'm not saying all of us are the same or when we get saved that it's all the same, but I'm saying have you ever had a moment like that where you just kind of had a head-on collision with Jesus Christ and you realize you've been doing everything wrong, you got the whole thing wrong, you really blew it, you messed up, and now God has confronted you with the truth of who Jesus Christ is. He had been convicting Saul for years, I bet, probably when Saul was just a young man and holding all the clothes of those Jews that were stoning Stephen to death. He was there and consenting unto his death, watching Stephen die and watching the manner in which he died and saying he died just like Jesus because he said, Father, forgive them. And, and uh, he looked up to heaven and his face shined like an angel and, and he looked up and he said he saw Jesus from heaven, you know. And now Paul sees Jesus from heaven himself, you see. He's different. He, changed, he repented that moment and said, Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my Lord. That was his moment of conversion. Has that ever happened for you? It happened for me, and it happened in one evening. Salvation is the miracle of a moment, and it happens when a lot of things come together. You have to have heard the preaching of the gospel. You have to be convicted by the Holy Spirit for your sins and feel the guilt and the sorrow for your sins, and then you have to realize that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You must accept him, or reject him. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. You must receive Jesus Christ. Even to them, he says in John chapter 1 verse 13, even to them that believe on his name. And the moment that you believe on the name of Jesus for salvation, just like that, you become a child of God. Just like that. Has that happened to you? I got saved because I didn't want to go to hell. And I knew that's where I was going. And that's a good reason. But when I got down to pray, I got down and prayed at my brother's couch. I said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know I'm going to hell, but I believe that you died for me. And I believe right now you'll forgive me and save me and take me to heaven when I die. I don't know how I believe this, but I do. I believe it was the Holy Spirit doing it with the preaching of the gospel. When I got up from that couch, I was different, man. Stayed up all night long reading the Bible went out, started witnessing to the people that I knew, let them laugh at me. You understand? I was different. Salvation is the miracle of a moment. And it's when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Think of this verse as you think about <clears throat> Saul's conversion. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... Saul said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Paul said, Jesus isn't in a grave. The disciples didn't steal his body away. There he is in glory. And he's dealing with me. <clears throat> believe that Christ is risen from the dead. Uh, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be what? Saved. Saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to know, have you done it? Have you called on the name of the Lord to be saved? You'll know if you've done it. Now some people say, <clears throat> I remember believing as a child, and I was raised up in church, and I've always believed, and I understand that, you can't remember that time when you actually placed your faith in Jesus Christ. It happened at a young age. But if that's the case, then I want to ask you, what are you trusting right now? 
You say, well, I'm trying to do my best, and I believe if I do my best and I'm sincere and I stand before God, He'll let me go. No, mm -mm. no, that's works. That's not trusting in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Saving faith is, I know where I belong. And the only thing keeping me from going to hell is the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's saving faith. I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. <laughs> I committed my soul to Jesus. He's able to keep it against that day, the day of judgment. So, there's Saul. He became a new man. He fell on the earth. Man, I just hope in heaven that we have instant replay. Have you ever thought of that? Lord, I want to turn on a big screen and I want instant replay of some of these things because we're like a visual people, you know. I want to see this stuff played back and see what it looked like for Saul to fall down. I guess he fell off of a horse maybe <clears throat> and that bright light shining. And then he says, verse 5, Lord. Lord. Or rather, verse 6. He was a new man with a new master. You know, uh, the name Lord simply means master. And he asks his master this question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He's asking the right person and he's asking the right question. And you know, uh, no one else can tell you what to do with your life but the Lord. Uh, the pastor can't tell you. I'm sorry, but I can't. And now uh, don't try to be the Holy Spirit. In Bible school, guys were terrible with that. <laughs> they'd look at somebody and they'd say, you're an evangelist. The way you preach, you're an evangelist. Or you should be a missionary. Missions is where it's at. Well, maybe the Lord don't want them to be a missionary be an evangelist. Maybe the Lord wants them to start a, a construction company, <laughs> you know, and help people that need a job. Try to lead them to Jesus Christ. I don't know. Only the Lord knows. John chapter 13, verse 13, we read that Jesus said to his disciples, Ye call me Master and Lord. And ye say, Well, for so I am. Think of that. Jesus said, You call me Master and Lord. And you say, Well, for so I am. Why? Now, Jesus said it another time. He said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? A lot of people come to church, say, Lord, and they have no intentions of doing what he actually tells them to do. Much of it is written down in, in his revealed will in the Word of God, and a lot of it just comes from being close enough to him to hear his voice and to know what he wants you to do specifically. You call me Master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. You know what it means that Jesus is our Lord? That means he should be in complete control of our lives. Now, this is a positive thing. Let me try to bring out the positive. He's in complete control of your life. He's your Lord. You are His servant. You belong to Him. He tells you when, when to get up in the morning and when to go to bed, so to speak. He tells you when it's time to eat. I think of the military, drill sergeants. He's in control, man. He is the Lord. Uh, our lives are not our own. Paul would say, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, which you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He's the Lord. He's in control. OK? 
Can I say something positive to you first about this? And then what Paul said there was really of a negative application. He's Lord, okay? He's Lord. Not the people around you, not the demands that you feel on you. Sometimes we can get so busy and we can do so much and have so many irons in the fire and so many things going and one more person asking us to do something else and another need there and another brother or sister trying to come to you making you feel guilty for not doing this ministry or that ministry at church. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you feel so tired that you get to the end of the week and it's Saturday and, and you don't feel like you got any more energy to do anything. And then here comes Sunday, it's the start of another week. We can get ourselves so tired and so worn out trying to do too much. And listen, that ain't the Lord. The Lord wouldn't tell you that He wants you to do something without giving you the resources to do it, including the strength and the natural aptitude and desire and skills for it and the time and the ability to do it. He wouldn't hold you accountable for it if you couldn't do it. So if there's too much going on, Sometimes the wisdom is getting close enough to God to understand what things need to be taken out of the life and say, God, I don't want to be busy with a bunch of good things. I want to make sure that I get the best things, those things that you want me to do. Lord, what will thou have me to do? You see? Because sometimes we can get so busy. That's the positive thing. Now, when you get in that place, guess what? There's peace. There's strength for the day. The Lord's close. And you can watch the Lord just working. Because guess what? He wants to bless what He has called you to do. And He wants to make you fruitful in it. So that's where you need to get to being. Ask Jesus to be Lord of your thought life. If you want to get to this place that I'm talking about, from where you are, the 21st century, Racine, Ohio, Antiquity Baptist Church, Sunday morning, May the 22nd, right? If you want to get there from where you are right now, ask Jesus to be Lord of your thought life. Jesus says, you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. So that's a contradiction. Why are you calling me Lord if you're not going to do what I tell you to do? You know, Because he is Lord. You call me Master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. <clears throat> say, Lord, be Lord over my thought life, because everything starts here, does it not? What you think you eventually say and do. Every action began as a little kernel of a thought. Uh, your attitudes, how you feel about yourself, oftentimes will sometimes discourage you to the point to where you can't do anything. I think the devil wants so many people to be discouraged to the point to where they just can't get up out of bed to do anything for the Lord. You know, So it's got to start with your thought life, and the Bible does tell us how to think. It tells us to clean up our thoughts. Whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is good, good report. And man, do we ever have a time with that, with our thoughts. And sometimes you've got to learn to recognize the voice of the Lord, of the Holy Spirit, and the voice of a devil, of an unclean spirit, telling you that you're, you're not uh, good enough to do anything. You've got to watch your entertainment choices. Ask Jesus to come in. Say, Jesus, be Lord over my entertainment choices. Because if the Holy Spirit is grieved with your life, you can't go any farther. 
He's not going to leave you. Praise God. He's taken up residence and he'll dwell with you and live with you until the day of redemption. But if he's grieved with you, you'll know it because he'll go silent on you. You'll be like, Lord, it was a long time since you talked to me from my Bible reading. It's been a long time since you talked to me in a church service. God, it's been a long time since I felt like I got a mission. I'm on a mission. With a, you can't grieve the Holy Spirit with your entertainment choices, with your relationships. Say, Lord, come in and be Lord of my sex life. How about that? Be Lord of my sex life. Be Lord of my decisions. Be Lord of my emotions. There's a lot of ungodly emotions that, that Christians are guilty of. Ungodly emotions. Say, be Lord of where I'm going to live, how much money I'm going to make, how much, how much money I'm going to give. I heard recently, uh, I've been talking about candy all morning, candy bar. Uh, she's, she works with the House of Samuel. That's the agency that represents us. It's a Christian agency to represent us for foster parenting. And uh, we went with the Christian agency because when we first did the foster uh, training through the state, I said, I don't want to be any part of this. I saw people in there that I didn't think were in there for the right reasons. I saw people in there who were same-sex couples, and that's perversion. And I didn't want to be any part of it, and I thought, I'm just going to adopt and just pay whatever it costs to adopt. and just. But then we got with a Christian agency, and there's a bunch of people in there who just want to help. And that's the group I wanted to be with. And that changes things financially, doesn't it? Social workers are not the highest paid people out there. So Candy is saying that they took a cut. But she and her husband, for years have set, they've, they've always supported the local church ministry, but they set extra money aside, and they set this money aside to be able to help out whenever there's a need. Whenever a missionary comes in, or whenever they see somebody who's kind of down and out, and something's happened, and they just see a need, and God says, help them. They're ready to do it, and they do. And I know people like that, they keep casseroles uh, on hand, you know, just to help out in a time of need. People, Lord, what do you want me to give? How much do you want me to give? He can tell you. He'll tell you. How do you want me to raise my children? Where do you want them to go to school? Who do you want me to help? You see, he's Lord. He's Lord. Have you ever asked him these questions? Or are you just trying to make it up as you go along? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, get down and ask those questions. Lord, I got some big decisions here to make. I got to do this, and we got this going on, and we're looking at our budget and looking at a possible job change or move over here. Or, Lord, I'm kind of getting tired in my marriage, and I'm not attracted to my spouse anymore, and this person over here is giving me attention. What do you want me to do about it? Lord, I've been trying to be faithful for years, and my spouse over here has got eyes for somebody else. What do you want me to do about it? Lord, what will thou have me to do? You see, <clears throat> you just say to him, Jesus, lover of my soul, what will thou have me to do? And lastly, Paul was a man with a new mission. He was a new man. He was born again on the road to Damascus by faith in Jesus Christ. He was changed. Jesus now was his Lord. He was trying to kill all the people that believed in him and get rid of that name. And now he says, 
you're my Lord, and whatever you tell me to do, I'm doing. That's conversion, folks. That's conversion. He had a new master, and he has, lastly, a new mission. What will thou have me to do? So Paul asked the right question. He asked uh, the right person. And there's nothing more important, listen to this, there's nothing more important in your life and in my life but finding out what God wants us to do and then doing it. Amen? You say, really? Well, listen, I know that we're here and God has left us here to glorify Him. We know that from the Bible. The purpose of your life is to bring glory to God. Amen? And to glorify God in the salvation of sinners. That's what the job of Christians are and in, in the church. So glorify God in the salvation of sinners. I know that. You're created for His pleasure. But why did God leave you here? Do you ever think about that? Why didn't God just say, I'm just going to take Christians to heaven. As soon as they get saved, I'm going to have a fiery chariot come down like with Elijah, and I'm just going to carry them away up to heaven, man. And uh, why didn't He do that? Because... You know, John 14, if you've been to a funeral or two, you've probably heard somebody read John 14. What does it say there? I love that passage. Never, never, never will it ever get old. Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, right? Where I am, there you may be with me. I want to bring you home with me. Amen. That's wonderful. Think about that. I think about people that's up in heaven in their mansion and... Uh, I, I know quite a few people now up in heaven. When I was 20, it didn't mean anything, you know. So uh, then he says in John chapter 17, in his great high priestly prayer, he says to the Father, he says, Father, as he's praying there, and I don't know if he's lifting up holy hands and praying out in, in the open air, though, with his, with his disciples around him, but he was praying, and, and he said, Lord, uh, at the end of his prayer, at the end of the chapter, I will that those that you've given to me would be with me. In heaven, that's part of his prayer. And don't you know Jesus' prayer is going to get answered. You're going to be with him in heaven. When saints die, it's absent from the body, present with the Lord. Amen. Heard a preacher uh, say that when he was, uh, I believe it was one of his parents had died. And this man that he'd been working with for many years, an older preacher, uh, he, he said to him, he said, my, my, my parent died. And, and that older preacher said, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And then just kind of walked on. He said, that's all he said. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. But he said to himself, he said, out of everything he could have said, that's the most comforting thing that you can say. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He prayed to the Father. He says, I want them there with me, so why aren't we there? We're here for one, we one reason, to serve him. To serve him. What are you doing? What am I doing? To serve the Lord. And again, don't become too busy with so many things, man, that you're so tired that when God says, okay, I got something for you, you're too tired to respond. When he says, here's the mission, green light, go. You've already got the resources. You got everything, but you're too wore out. My dad and my uh, stepmom, Patty, they love to sing that song, Wore Out. And it's a hilarious song. If you've never heard this song, look it up on YouTube, Wore Out, comedy song. And it's, it's funny. And it's just talking about getting older and getting too wore out to do anything. Um, but listen, there's strength for the day. I don't care what your age is. There's strength for the day for what the Lord wants you to do. And we have a new mission. Here's some advice for handling this as we close. Someone has said, 
be sure not to preach beyond your level of experience. They said that to me when I was a younger preacher. And I think that I'm okay here. I don't think I'm preaching beyond my experience. Because I'm going to tell you what I did to get to where I am. And Lord knows, I'm not the example. Jesus is the example. But look at the end of verse 6. What was the next step for Paul? The Lord said unto him, after he said, what do you want me to do? The Lord said, arise, get up, go into the city, go to Damascus, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. He didn't give him a whole lot. He just said, get up, dust yourself off, go into the city, and then Paul was probably like, yeah, yeah. And then he said, then it'll be told you what to do. You know? That's all. You see, you say, what, what are you saying? If you want to know how to do this, I'm going to tell you, just take the next step, whatever it is. Take the next step. You say, I'm getting too tired, getting too wore down. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. You can do that. Anybody can plod. Just take the next step. Do what you know the Lord wants you to do. You say, I don't know what he wants me to do. You're a child of God. He wants you to pray. He wants you to read your Bible. He wants you to assemble together with like-minded believers. He wants you to fellowship with them. Do, take the next step. You're a, you're a spouse if you're married. Okay, love your spouse. Take the next step. You're a parent if you have children. Care for your children. Um, you're a witness for Jesus Christ. Be a witness. Take the next step. Whatever it is on the thing that the Lord has told you to do, take the next step. And then stay close to the Lord. You know, Paul is an example of a man who stayed close to the Lord throughout his whole life. He was so close to the Lord that he knew what God wanted him to do. One time he was heading north and he wanted to go into Asia and the Holy Spirit was forbidding him. And he said, I can't do it because the Holy Spirit said no. You know, that, that God's going to do that to you too if you get close enough to him. You, you'll just know. You'll just know that you know that you know. Sometimes he'll give it to you from the scriptures. Sometimes you can just... Feel it. I don't care if you like that word feel or not. Sometimes it's just the Lord, nah, the Lord took away the peace. Lord shut the door on that. Sometimes the Lord just kicks the door wide open and says, go through. You know? Stay close to Him or you won't know. You won't know. And then study and serve the Lord. The Lord never calls a lazy person to do something for Him. If you're a lazy couch potato sitting on a couch, sucking on a can of Coca-Cola and eating potato chips with all your free time, the Lord ain't going to call you to do anything. He doesn't call lazy people. He calls faithful people. You say He calls smart and successful and talented people. No, He don't. He wouldn't have called me. He calls faithful people. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. He, he put me into the ministry because He counted me faithful. Anybody anybody can be faithful Amen. you just got to have the want to and then he'll 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 take you as and use you for his glory so let me ask you as we close who do you serve right now if you look over the last week of your life who do you serve is it you is it somebody else is it jesus is he first and what motivates you you know what motivated paul 
living for Jesus Christ and doing whatever he wanted him to do. What motivates you this morning? Are you willing to go anywhere to do anything for Jesus? Are you willing to not go anywhere and not do anything for Jesus? What if the Lord put you into a bed of sickness and said, I can't get anybody to pray. I mean, to really pray. But I got you here on your back and you're not going anywhere for a good long while. And I want you to pray. You see what I'm saying? He's Lord. He's Lord. Not you, not me. What if that's what the Lord wanted? Would you do it? Let's go ahead and stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And you know what the prayer is this morning, don't you? I remember the day just like it was yesterday. I remember where I went and where I kneeled at the altar where I knelt. And I remember the way that the music was playing. I remember a little bit of what the pastor was saying to the people. And I remember when I got down on my knees and on my face before the Lord and prayed this prayer and I meant it. And it was when I was in Bible college and I said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And uh, if you're going to pray that, get ready. Get ready. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, and Lord, um, you've dealt with our hearts. You've dealt with us from the Word of God. I pray, Father, if there's one here today that's not truly converted, their life has never been changed by the confrontation with Jesus Christ and the gospel. And uh, Lord, they, they know they're not different. They know their life has never changed. They're missing something this morning. I pray that today would be the day that they would come forward at this invitation to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Lord, I believe that everyone here is saved, but Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us for that. Once again, we want to recommit ourselves to you to say, Lord, what will thou have me to do? So I pray, Father, you'd help us all to make a new commitment to your Lordship. And then, Lord, give us a mission individually, corporately as a church. Show us between that and something else. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What's our song? 483. 483. If you want to.